let me uh, pray and let's get right into uh, today's sermon on being humbled. Father, thank you for this amazing group of people. Thank you for this wonderful place. You have allowed us to gather in your name and to let the Holy Spirit do as you please. Now, as we have been focusing on the book of Philippians, thank you, God, for the things you've been whispering into my heart all throughout the weeks. And now as we open up your word and hear from you, I pray, God, an individual word for every one of us, those who are here in person, our wonderful Zoom family, those who are going to be listening to this on YouTube, who knows when later. God, thank you that it's the weight of your word and your glory, not of a man, not of a people. So we thank you that you have something to say to your children today. And we ask that our hearts would be a resting place, a landing place for what you want to say. Lead us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Philippians 2 is a powerful chapter. I remember a few years ago, we had a conference called Power in Love. It was led by uh, Todd White and Dan Moeller, just powerhouses in uh, just real identity and having the, the love of the Father and then demonstrating it in God's love and His power. So just awesome conferences. And we got to hold a conference for a week long where we had just in-depth times in the spirit all day long. And then at nighttime, they released us into the streets to do ministry. It was wonderful. But I remember um, Dan Moeller, he was up there teaching one time and he says, I remember a time when God led me to study Philippians chapter two. And I did, and I continued to do so. It became one week, then two weeks. I was then on week 17. I said, okay, God, what are you trying to tell me? I've been studying this. I've looked at every commentary. I've looked at the Greek. I, I've, I've dissected this thing. I've listened to sermons on it. I, I don't know what else to extrapolate from this chapter. W what is it that you want me to learn from this study? And then so clearly he heard the father say to him, I never asked you to study it. I asked you to become it. And, and so, I mean, if, if somebody can stay in that one chapter for so long, there's some very powerful things about it. But today I want to focus on humility, and more so the theme of the book of Philippians, rejoicing and enjoying the Christian experience, how pride can really rob us of that experience. You know, we've all been humbled. Years ago when Gabriel was in preschool, uh, we had this weird schedule where Nikki was working full-time. She's primarily been in the home, but she was working full-time at this time in our lives as an administrative assistant. Gabriel was in preschool now. He wasn't at home. And I was a preacher, and I had Mondays off. So I, every Monday, I had this weird by myself. I don't like to be alone, and I don't like to sit still doing nothing. I have to have, on that to-do list that, that Marsha was talking about. I love my to-do list. I, I love being, but I love my to-do list too. And so I remember sitting there that day, and I had everything done. The car was washed. My chores were done. I had finished my reading. I had studied something. I'm like, there's nothing on TV. I was just bored out of my mind. And so I look, and over at our washer and dryer, there's a big pile of laundry. And I had this oh-so-humble notion, I could really be an awesome husband right now, you know? And my wife, she's going to be so excited that I took something off her plate. And so I took this huge pile, this giant basket, and I did load after load after load that day. Folded it all, put it on the bedroom uh, bed, and waited for my wife to come home. And I'm, I'm sitting there, you know, sitting on the couch as she walks through the doors with the, with the book that's upside down, pretending like I'm reading. And, and I watch her walk right past the washer and dryer and doesn't say anything. 
I said, okay, that's all right. She'll see the folded pile on the bed as she changes, you know, and gets into the PJs for the day and nothing. So, I mean, minutes and minutes are going by and she's not bringing any recognition. I'm like, I need to be showered with affirmation right now. What is going on? Right? She says nothing. So finally, I can't take it. And so I say, babe, did you notice anything different around the house? And she's like, no. Like the laundry? She's like, what about it? I did all the laundry for you. She goes, oh, okay. You mean the clean laundry that I'd already washed? So I spent my entire day cleaning something that was already clean and being exposed that I just, I wanted affirmation. I didn't do it out of the kindness of my heart. I did it because I wanted my wife to be like, oh my gosh, babe, you're the best husband ever. No other husbands do this. That's all I wanted. And my evil intentions were fully known. You know, humility is what I want to talk about here today. We're going to see the power of humility because humility is not meant to humble us and embarrass us. Humility is to keep us free from the pride of life, the pride of the flesh, and the temptation that there is. And we've been talking about joy through the book of Philippians. And if you're just joining us, last week when we started talking about Paul's letter to the church of Philippi in a Roman prison and how he could be there chained to a guard day and night, but was talking about joy all the time. 16 times in his book, the word rejoice is used. And he's using the power of joy to teach us something to fortify our identity, to show us what we can really be forfeiting. And that's the truth about joy. Joy is a gift of the Holy Spirit, meaning everyone has access to it. It's a byproduct of abiding in the vine, but it's also supernatural. And because what God gives to us is past tense, he gives us everything. He deposits everything, every spiritual blessing, all identity, all the power of the Holy Spirit the day we become a Christian. So it's in us. And it's not so much, let's find joy. It's more so, thank you, God, for the joy I have in the Holy Ghost. Help me to keep it. That's really the the biggest issue that we have going on. And so today, one of the main ways that we can sabotage that joy and forfeit what God has already given to us is to walk in pride. And God has a lot of really powerful things to say about pride. In Proverbs 8.13, it says, to fear the Lord means to hate evil. God hates arrogance and pride. Now, hate's a powerful word. It means to passionately disagree and to passionately be against something. God hates pride. He loves people, but he hates pride. And then in James chapter 4, verse 6, it says that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, let me tell you, I want grace. I want to walk humbly. I, I don't want God to, to withhold anything from me because of my bad behavior, because I, I'm prideful. And, and God's like, okay, if you think you can handle it on your own, go right ahead. I'd rather be walking in tune with the Spirit and getting the grace of God than to have God say, I can't do anything for you because you refuse me. And we live in a world today that we put God on the back burner. Man, are we obsessed with self. And there's a lot of good things out there. Self-care is great. You know, taking time of Sabbath is wonderful. Becoming a better you. There is nothing wrong with that. God wants you to fortify your identity and become more and more Christ-like. But we have a problem when it's all about us and our image. We are saturated in this desire for image. We don't want to be embarrassed. We have a fear of man. We have all these things that limit what God wants to do in our lives. 
And I know that I'm breathing, I'm alive, I'm a preacher, I'm a pastor, I'm alive here today so that I can preach identity that leads to revival. I truly, honestly believe that the more we understand who God has created us to be, who we are in the spirit, the more we get the fear of man off, the more we get pride out of the way, the more we are gonna see a natural release of revival in our land. I'm talking personal revival, community revival, and even global revival. It's when the altar is burning for people who say, enough of me, I want all of you, Jesus. And we're gonna talk all about this in, in just a little bit, but I just believe in my heart that if we can get rid of the same dumb tactics that the enemy has been using for years and years and years, lies about who we are, that the focus is all about us, if we can remove these simple little tactics, it's amazing the freedom that enters our lives and what God can do for us. Now, there's three very specific words that I want to look at and study today. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Philippians. When I was a little boy, I called it the book of Filipinos. Book of Philippians, chapter 2. No way I could say Philippians. We're going to look at the first 13 verses of Philippians, chapter 2. And I got an old school Bible. I always read out of the New American Standard. If you have a digital Bible, you can turn your Bible on and uh, go with me to the book of Philippians. If you have the option, go to the New American Standard. Uh, I, I always tease that I have an old school Bible. Everything in my world is digital. My calendars, my to-do list, everything is on my phone and computer, but not my Bible. I just love a Bible. I love my blue buffalo skin, very soft Bible so much. And I, I used to tease people all the time about their digital Bibles. And one time I said, the one thing I love about having a real, real Bible is that my battery will never die. And the church started laughing. I remember when I said it that one day, we had this Brazilian family in our church and her phone that she was looking at with the Bible, it died the second I said that. So we had a good laugh after that. But Philippians chapter two, and my title in my Bible says, be like Christ. We're really gonna explore that today. Verse one, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. God bless you. Have a wonderful week, ladies and gentlemen. Go work on that for a week, right? <laughs> do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this, here's the first word that we're going to look at today, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he, second word we're going to look at today, but he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. He humbled himself. That'll be the third word we look at today. Becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven on earth and under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is 
Lord, to the glory of God and the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I've talked about this before, working out your own salvation. Spirit, soul, and body. We are made in three parts, like Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are. Three in one. One God, three persons. Our spirit is saved. Perfect. No sin. Wall to wall, Holy Spirit. Our soul is our mind, body, will, and emotions. That's being saved. And then our bodies, in heaven, we get a new body. So it will one day be saved. So we're saved. We're being saved. One day we will be saved. And when I get my new body in heaven, it's going to have a six-pack because I never had one here. <laughs> so when, when, uh, when Paul is talking about work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, that doesn't mean live fearfully that what if I'm not saved? What if I, I wasn't good enough? What if my bad deeds outweigh my good deeds? It has nothing to do with your deeds. It has everything to do with the blood and that you have a new identity. So working out your salvation says, I am a saved child of God, perfect in my spirit. My soul needs to get his act together, so I'm working that out, and I trust that God will one day have me completely saved with a new body in heaven. Then finally here in verse 13, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's all about the will of God in our lives and getting us out of the way. So as I mentioned, there was uh, three main words here that I want to focus on. They're in your bulletin if you want to take notes, or if you're like me, I don't take notes, and I just rewatch the sermon later and get it a second time. But the first thing, point number one, is have the same attitude as Jesus. Have the same attitude as Jesus. There's this old story of uh, Booker T. Washington, who was walking down a wealthy neighborhood, and he didn't have too much going on that day. And, and this little old lady sees the man walking. He says, oh, sir, I have no one to help me, help me with my pile of uh, fire logs. I need them chopped up. Are you interested in earning uh, some, some money? She had no idea who this man was. He had no pressing matter. He had nothing going on. So sure, he rolls up his sleeves and he chops all the wood and he even brings it into the home for her and he refuses any payment and he goes about his way. Well, a little girl who was in the neighborhood who knew him, recognized him, and she went up to this lady like, do you know what you just asked? You asked Mr. Washington to do a simple manual labor chore for you. And she, of course, was embarrassed. And so the next day she goes to his office and profusely apologizes and says, ma'am, a good little manual labor is really good for the soul every now and then. I had nothing to do. And more than anything, I want to be a good friend to those who are friends. And then what was lovely about this lady is that later on down the road, she had wealthy friends and they gave a great donation to the college, yada, yada. But he could have said, excuse me, do you know who I am? But he said, no, this is doing something good for a friend. This is something kind. And that's what we are called to do, to be a servant. If Jesus could wrap a towel around his forearm, being the king of the universe, how much more are you and I to serve and lend a hand to those who need it? And there's a real joy in serving others more than having others serve us. But in the Greek, in the book of Philippians, the word attitude in the Greek, it really means to be wise and have understanding. But I like my friend Webster. Um, I love his definition. And he says that attitude is a settled way of thinking. That's really cool. We need to be wise and have understanding in the spirit. But just a, a normal secular dictionary says a settled way of thinking. And I want to think, well, what does that look like as a believer? 
if I have a settled way of thinking. Jesus had a settled way of thinking. He was focused. He was missional. He came to save the world. He raised the dead, laid hands on the sick. He was very focused. He had a settled way of thinking. When the enemy tried to tempt him, he said, be gone. When other things conflicted with the will of God, even his own death and crucifixion, he was settled in his thinking. And my question to us this morning is, are you settled? Is your mind determined on the things of the Spirit? Or like me, many times, I allow my puny emotions and feelings to get in the way. I love how Andrew Walmack says it. He says that our feelings and emotions were always designed to follow us, never to lead us. Our feelings and emotions should not dictate what we think. Our thinking should be completely settled on the word of God. And we've taken time to renew our thoughts and so forth. So that when opposition comes, when the contrary comes, we can say, no, I've already made it up in my heart. This isn't in your references, but Daniel chapter uh, one, verse eight, uh, we see Daniel, the 16-year-old boy whose parents were likely killed and he stands before Nebuchadnezzar. He could be killed at any moment. And he says, no, I have resolved in my mind not to defile myself with the king's delicacies. Kill me if it may be, but I've made up my mind. That's not being stubborn. That's being settled in your thinking based on the word and the truth of Jesus Christ. We need to be settled and not allow our, our feelings to lead us. So, so how do we take on the attitude of Christ? How do we do this? Well, I know one thing is very, very, very powerful and true, and please hear me on this one. Your prayer closet will produce consistent character. Where Jesus, Jesus himself, was always consistent in his focus and his mission, you and I are so inconsistent with our feelings and so forth. But the more we find ourselves in the prayer closet, the more we find consistent character. And Jesus had to do this himself. As we sing that, that Jesus left his throne to come into our world, to die and to be risen from the grave. He left the throne room of heaven. He came down here, still deity. He was 100% God, but he put his divinity aside to live as a man in right relationship with God. But he was about to face a cross in Luke chapter 22, verse 44. And he's sitting there bleeding sweat drops. The Bible says he was in such distress, he was at the point of death. And he's telling the father, uh, is there any other way we could do this? <laughs> I don't know if you've studied what a Roman crucifixion is all about. It's a horrible way to die. And I'm sure if I was in the flesh, as Jesus was, fully God, but yet fully human, and I'm like, Lord, I could preach a sermon. I can call an altar call. I could do anything else. But if this is the way I got to do it, not my will, but yours be done. And so he had to come to a place where he poured out his heart in his own prayer closet in the garden. He had to pour out his heart and his fears and his emotions and all these other things in the flesh. And then to come to a place with God, not with the world, not with the news, not with study, not with other, just him and God. And to say, it's not about me, not my will, but your will be done. But God doesn't call us to things just for the sake of it. Remember, if you're going through a trial in your life today, if God called you to it, he will get you through it because God only leads us into a place where we can have the victory. It may be difficult, but we can have the victory. And at the same time, God will never call you to something without also giving you the motivation, without also giving you the tools necessary. I say this all the time, but 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. So he wasn't just sitting there, I'm about to be brutally murdered by the Roman Empire for the salvation of the world. But you know what I'm doing? I'm dying so that every spiritual orphan will come back into the embrace of the Father. I'm dying so that the Holy Spirit will take residence in every single spirit that decides to confess the name of Jesus. I'm dying so that the rest of all of humanity will have the experience to come into oneness with the Father and live eternally. That's a lot of joy. And he says, the amount of joy that I'm going to receive from this act of obedience far carries me into being able to complete it. So I'm telling you that we have to have the same attitude as Jesus, but find that settled way of thinking in your prayer closet. And then look around at what God has already given you to sustain you, to carry you. But not only that, to have a joy in the middle of whatever you go through. You know, Paul, Paul said that, um, thank you, love. Paul said that he's in a, in a prison and he's shackled and he's in prison. But 16 times he says rejoicing. 16 times he looked at the joy in the middle of his problem. Number two live full of Christ and empty of self. Live full of Christ and empty of self. Jesus emptied himself, put his divinity aside, and he lived in the same way that you and I can live in right relationship with God. And that's incredibly important to know because if Jesus did everything as Jesus, 100% God, you know, hey, good job, Jesus, but you're God. I'm not, thank the Lord. You're God. So I'm impressed, but I'm not called to it. But if he did everything in right relationship to God, now I'm commanded to do what he asked us, to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers, preach to the whole world and make disciples. So Jesus was able to accomplish that in right relationship with God. He had no sin to separate him from the Father, and he had the Holy Spirit that empowered him. What do you and I have today? No sin that separates us from the Father. We are fully forgiven. And we have a Holy Spirit who's taken residence in our heart and fully given us the power, the power to be able to carry out God's will. Now, notice that I say we need to empty ourselves of ourself. We're not supposed to just empty our mind. We're supposed to be less of me, more of you, God. Now, Eastern religions will teach you, you know, Buddhism, Hinduism, you need to empty your mind. Nirvana, Nirvana, Nirvana is accomplished when you can completely empty your mind to nothing. Then you're in a state of peace. But the Bible and Christianity commands us for something else, to renew our mind and to fill our minds with truth, a truth of who Jesus is, truth of the word of God. We are to fill our mind. We are to be empty of self, but we are to be completely controlled and filled of the Holy Spirit. And how do we empty ourselves? And I want to challenge you to look at your desires. Now, a lot of your desires, especially the bad ones, they should have gone the moment that you gave your life to Jesus. A lot of things changed. Now you found his love, things have changed in your life, but there's still some things that we need to work on. But our desires are a great indication on the quality of our heart currently. Our desires indicate, do we really want God's will or do I really just want amusement? Do I really want entertainment? Do I really want pleasure? Do I just really want attention? Your desires are a great indication, and I would encourage you to start with your desires, get your mind renewed, and have conversations with God about, I can't empty myself because I'm still desiring these things that are not of your will, God. And we have to do the hard work at reversing some of our desires and welcoming God into our heart to change those things. 
I was having a conversation with a friend a long time ago. Uh, I love documentaries. Um, I don't get too far into conspiracy theories, but oh, are they entertaining, okay? <laughs> but I love documentaries. I love documentaries. And I watched a series back in 2011. I watched a series of health food documentaries, and it led us on a, an incredible journey of cleaning up our diet and so forth. And there was this one plant-based whole foods, basically a vegan documentary, Forks Over Knives, by the way, fantastic documentary. So I'm talking to my friend who's from Minnesota, the complete opposite of a vegan. It's meat and potatoes, no veggies even, right? And so I'm talking to her about this documentary. She's like, oh, I have so many vegan friends and they're so sick. I'm like, well, yeah, Oreos are vegan. Potato chips are vegan. It's whole foods plant. And so I'm going back and forth with her and talking about all these things I'm discovering about the documentary. And then she says this statement. She says, well, a documentary can make you believe anything. I said, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. A documentary. Because what a documentary does is it moves everything out of the way, gives you all the facts and statistics. It gives you all the research. It gives you all the testimonials. All the leading experts are saying this and that. And over a course of time, they're basically getting to say, huh, oh, never thought of it that way. So by the end of it, you're brainwashed. By the end of it, you're like, wow, yeah, we need to save the orcas. Otherwise, this planet's going to implode. You're completely changed. Now, if, if the world can do that through a documentary, how much more you and I, when we examine our hearts and say, wow, my desires are off here, God. I've been acting so prideful. All I've wanted to do is just lounge around. I have no desire right now for your word. Something's off here. So Holy Spirit, I invite you not just to take it away from me. I invite you into my place of pain. I invite you into my place of lack. Teach me here and now. And have your own divine documentary with the Lord. Let him give you all the facts and the figures. Let him give you all the truth. Let him get your heart to a place where you're just pumped up and you're like, that's what I need to be believing. And then your behavior can come from the overflow of that. This reference isn't in your notes as well, but Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Jesus says, do not store for yourselves treasures on earth that moss and rust will, will take care of and destroy. No. Store up in your hearts treasures that are in heaven and things above. And that's, that's the deal. Jesus spent all of his life. Why, why did he take 30 years before he started his ministry? He was learning how to be a good son. He was storing up in his heart things of heaven, treasures, that nothing in contrary to God's will would take him out. He wanted to fully obey the Lord. So we need to have the attitude of Jesus. We need to live full of Christ and empty of self. And the last thing here is be humble in a world of self-centeredness. Be humble in a world of self-centeredness. Remember the story of Muhammad Ali, famous boxer. When he was younger, he was on a plane. He's on an airplane refusing to put his seatbelt on. So flight attendant said, sir, we can't take off unless you put your seatbelt on. All these other passengers are getting a little angry. If you just put your seatbelt on, we can go. And then Muhammad Ali, he says, I'm Muhammad Ali. I'm Superman. Superman don't need no seatbelt. Okay. Another flight attendant, another flight attendant. Finally, the pilot comes up to him and says, uh, Mr. Ali, I'm hearing that we got some problems about your seatbelt. He says the same thing. I'm Muhammad Ali. I'm Superman. Superman don't need no seatbelt. Then the, the pilot comes right over to him and whispers in his ear. He's like, Superman didn't need a plane either. <laughs> 
if you don't humble yourselves, you're going to get humbled. It's life. But we also need to have the true meaning of humility because you can fall into a false idea of humility. Uh, Chris Valentin, he says that true humility is not thinking of yourself as less. It's thinking about yourself less, more of God, less of me. But when you come into this false sense of humility, you're like the opposite of Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali thought he was the greatest thing next to sliced bread. And then some of us, we think the complete opposite. I'm just a rotten worm. All my works are but filthy rags. I'm nothing. I'm lowly. I'm a pathetic. Why would God even bother with me? And oh, it's only by the grace of God and all this other stuff, right? That, that's still pride. The whole thing about pride is that you get your eyes off of God and you put them on yourself. So whether you're boasting and saying, I'm the best thing on planet Earth, or you're saying, I'm the worst thing on planet Earth, guess what? You're still looking at yourself. It needs to be all of him. But also, give yourself some credit. Because there's some accomplishments that you've done with God, and, and all of heaven is celebrating you as well. There was this one pastor who was talking about, he finished a sermon, and someone came up to him and said, wow, pastor, that sermon was amazing. And the pastor said, oh, it was all God. It wasn't me. And then that guy said, it wasn't that good, and walked off, right? So don't, don't get to this false sense of humility of saying, you know, it's more Jesus and less of me, but he also desired you to the point where he would be murdered to get this divine exchange of redeeming you. God purchased you with the blood of his only begotten son. So that gives us value. We have value in the eyes of God. It's not about what we think about ourselves. It's what we think about how God thinks of us and carrying out with a confidence that comes from the spirit, not a boastfulness. There's a big difference. But the main point is to get our eyes off of each other so that we can focus on him and enjoy the joy. I really believe that true biblical joy gives birth to true biblical humility. True biblical joy. That means like Jesus, who had the joy set before him, saying, I don't want to live this life for myself. When I'm prideful, I'm miserable. But when I serve, when I give of myself away, when I bless other people, something in my spirit resonates. Something comes alive in me. Let joy carry you. If joy was the thing that sustained Paul, I want to do the same thing. What joy can I, I find? Why, why is Sunday mornings the happiest day of my week? because we're giving away to each other. We're fellowshipping. We're keeping our eyes solely on God. It's the one hour in my week where I don't have a phone in my face or I'm not bothered with my to-do list, but I'm present in his presence. And there's joy that comes about that. Let, let that sustain you and carry you. And finally, I'm gonna close with this, because when we are truly humble, we are truly free. Let me clo close with this last testimony and, and I'll pray for us and we'll be dismissed. But uh, there's a lady named Candace Payne. Uh, she's from the Dallas area. You may better know her as the Chewbacca mom. Have you seen that viral video? It's this mom. Uh, back in 2016, she was walking through a Kohl's here in the Dallas area, and she found this discounted Chewbacca mask, probably from Halloween's ago. And when you put the mask on, when you opened your mouth, the mask mouth moved, and it made Chewbacca noises. It was battery powered. So she's sitting in her car. She puts her Facebook uh, on, and she puts this mask on, and she could barely talk. She was laughing so hard at this stupid little Chewbacca mask. She went to bed that night, and when she woke up the next morning, she had over 10 million views, over 30 million reshares. She went completely viral. She, she wrote the definition 
of viral videos. She was invited on to Today's show, she got to meet uh, the, the CEOs and founders of Facebook. She was given book endorsements and deals. She was given over $70,000 from Kohl's and other things. The toy company Hashboro, who made that mask, they ended up reproducing this thing and selling out at stores nationwide. By the time she got to meet the, the company at Facebook, uh, it was already at 150 million views. But what they won't show you on the news is that she was a very committed believer. And she had been battling for a long time because she went in college, she had theater experience. She was a stand-up comedian, but all of her comedy was self-deprecating. It was focused on how dumb she is and how many mistakes she's made. And she had so many hurts in the church that she even made fun of the church in a few of her jokes. Her marriage was suffering and she was at a real low point in her life. And a few weeks before she did that random video, she had a real gut, honest conversation with God and said, Father, I just don't know what I'm doing. I'm miserable. My marriage is falling apart. I'm not going anywhere with my hobbies and the things you have led me to do. And the Lord spoke very specific to her heart. I heard this on a podcast, uh, by the way, so it's coming from her own mouth. And she says, the Lord called me that I'm leading you into an Esther year. I'm taking you away from certain things. You're going to die to those things and submit yourself to be a servant so that a greater thing can come. And about a week later, she posts that video. Now she's preaching in churches all across. She still has a a vibrant ministry. She's doing comedy again, but this time it's glorifying God. She's got books that are out there inspiring people. And none of this would have happened if she didn't have a conversation with God and humbled herself and said, this is not working because it's all of me. And if she did not heed the, ver- the voice of God and saying, this is your time to stop and to switch your focus, she would have never walked into something as simple. God will confound the wise with the simple and the foolish, right? Something as simple as a Chewbacca mask. Now she has the opportunity and the platform to give God glory. And if God can do it for a wonderful mom, who was struggling in life and a Chewbacca mask, what more can he do for us? And I want to challenge you as we continue studying the book of Philippians, let's keep our joy. But this may be something we have to wrestle with all week and talk to God about where in the areas of my heart am I prideful? Where do I need to humble myself? What do I need to renew in my mind? But I encourage you, have a prayer closet moment with God this week. Get gut honest, real with God. Clean up some things in your life. It's not about your behavior. It's about your heart. And God wants to do a work. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for my friends here today. And I thank you, Father, for your goodness. And I thank you that you truly are a loving Father. You're not this mean and angry God who is waiting to get us and waiting to point out every failure in our lives. No, you're, you're a God of love who has fully equipped your children to carry out your will, to express the gospel in love and power. But God, you gave us all the resources of heaven to do it. You've given us constant access to your heart and you've given us the Holy Spirit filled with power to carry us and guide us and teach us. So this week, God, it boils down to, again, our flesh. In the same way, Jesus, that you wrestled in a garden with your flesh and your spirit and with the will of God. We pray this week, God, I simply impart a a desire in hearts here today and, and throughout this week, a desire to have these conversations with you a desire and a momentum and a motivation to change some areas in our lives to help us focus on you and not ourselves, to make it truly more of you and less of me, but God, to find the freedom and the joy 
that others want desperately in their lives. Help us to be a mouthpiece for you. Help us to be an example that gives glory to you because of the joy we carry in our single focus on you. Bless my friends, protect them, fill them with your love, guide them, bring prosperity in the areas of their, their finances and their marriages and their relationships and their businesses. Go before us now as we walk and we leave in this place in your love and power. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you guys. It was so good to see you again. Have a wonderful week.